tonight to look at these words to Peter and to the Lord. Pray that you would bless our study and open our hearts to this reality. Help us to get a picture of the greatness of your person and your sacrifice and your work on our behalf. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving. Amen. We look at Second Peter. We're in chapter three, the beginning of chapter three. Um, Peter is talking about the return of the Lord. He points out in verse one. This he says, "This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you," uh, which means that he's writing to the same group, and this is the second letter. And if um, if you're interested, one of the things that I like to do is to go back and look at the very first verse of the first letter. And the first verse and first letter, Peter starts out, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, brought to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. So here is Peter writing to the chosen, the elect, those who are scattered, those who are are believers but they are there is persecution and suffering and we know from this epistle first epistle that there is a lot of suffering that's going on he addresses that and uh, that's a that's a an important issue peter goes on to say if you want to turn over to verse eight and talking with these saints that are scattered that he's writing he points out he says though you have not known him or seen him he's talking about jesus he's writing to the believers and he says though you have not seen him you love him now that would be true with us too we haven't seen jesus peter did and he he knew him and he walked with him and he interacted with him and jesus confronted him on several occasions and uh, he even got in the boat and peter was the one that caught the fish and things of this nature but most of these these saints that he's writing to have not seen jesus and so he says though you have not seen him you love him and though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So he's writing to the saints in the first epistle of those that are scattered throughout Pontius Galatia. And he's writing to them knowing that most of them have not seen the Lord, but he has. Now, just put yourself in this, the shoes here, but suppose you were here tonight like we are and the apostle peter were to come walking in the door and start to to interact with us i for one would like to hear as much as i can from him about his relationship with the savior you know what the savior i mean we have it in the gospels but it would be nice to hear his first person testimony of what it was like and what he thought and what he saw and how he reacted with him because that is a that is, a, that is where our interest and our love lies. We, we love the Savior, and we want to touch base as much as possible with somebody else who knew him and related to him. And now we come to this epistle, and he's writing to these same people, people who do not know the Lord, but Peter does, and others, they, they know the Lord, but they haven't seen him, and, but Peter has. And so he's sharing with them that this Jesus that he knew is coming back. And uh, this is something that is was permeating, if you remember the early church, that first epistle there were saints that were suffering. And when saints suffer, when people suffer, 
one of the things that that increases is our desire to have the Lord return and relieve us of that suffering so we can be with him. And uh, so Peter is writing these saints to these saints, those who have been suffering, those who have not seen him, and he's relating to them the things about Jesus, and he's going to let them know uh, in, this, in these words that we're here that uh, there are mockers that are going to have been coming around and denying the second coming of the Lord, but Peter is going to let them know that this is not something strange that does take place, but he is coming back. That's, that's what he's wanting to do, is to firm up their understanding and their commitment and their faith to the reality that Jesus is coming back. He is coming again. Amen. We know that. So here is the lesson. He said, this is, this is now, this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter that I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Just point out there as I'm going through this, he says, stirring up your mind by way of reminder so that you're reminding of something that you already know that you should remember these words that were spoken of the apostles. There were words of the prophets spoken by your apostles. So remember these things that you've heard. Remember the things that you have been taught. That's what he's telling them. Don't forget these things. Uh, he, he goes in and he's going to be talking about things like that uh, further on about remembering these things. And so it's important. We go through, and I had someone tell me the other day that they never get tired of studying the very basic truths of the Gospels and the doctrines and the epistles to get through and study these things because even though we've gone through the text and seen these things, sometimes it's always fresh, it's always new, it's always impactful, it's always important. And it is. It's like the song, Tell Me the Old, Old Story. So here is this, he writes this, he says, um, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And though which the, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some counsel in this, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So here he's talking about this, the second coming of the Lord, the fact that he's coming. And we want to look, just consider that, that he is coming back. 
We know that. We've talked about that. I don't want to, to overdo that. We talked about the Lord coming back on the white horse. Matthew uh, 24 talks about the day of the Lord, and that's one of the things that is an awesome, awesome reality. Over and over and over in Scripture, in many places, there is a reference to a particular day of judgment that God is going to bring upon the earth, a day of the Lord. Matthew 24 talks about that day. Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. Now, this is something, when he talks about that, that uh, we look at and we say, how can this be? This maybe means an eclipse or something like that, but this is not a problem for the Lord because God is the one who has established creation and he has established creation with certain laws and rules and controls. But if he wants to step in and change things, he can do it. Remember that the darkness that covered the children of Israel during one of the plagues, there was darkness. The text literally says it was a darkness that can be felt. And it was so much so that the people couldn't even leave their houses. You would think if it was regular darkness, you could get some candles and you could go out and you could see, walk around. But in this case, the darkness was so much so that they couldn't do that. It was, it was absolutely like, almost like being covered with a, with a blanket or something like that. It was just, it was unbelievable. God is able to do that. And he's able to make the sun and the moon dark. He's able to do these kinds of things. It's not a problem. And in that day, the day of the Lord, it says strange things like men were gonna, gonna try to hide themselves from the wrath of God. And they're gonna try to take their own lives and they won't be able to kill themselves. Now, that's a hard thing to understand <clears throat> because we are in this type of realm, this type of existence where we have the normal laws of physics and science and chemistry and health. And these are the laws that God has put in place and he abides by these laws almost all the time. Uh, and rarely does he break out of that mold unless he's performing a miracle as a sign to confirm a speaker or something like he did in the New Testament, he follows those laws. But he can't do that. And in a day coming, he may do that the very thing in, around the day of the Lord. So here's this passage. He talks about the sun will hold its light. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from the sky. I don't know how that's going to be, whether that's going to be actually the stars that were going to move or the Asteroids are going to come, or whatever. We we are obsessed. Have you noticed that? That we're obsessed uh, in television programs and other things with asteroids coming and hitting the Earth, and they're even talking about how can we do to present that. I think that there is an association between that and Bible prophecy that talks about stars falling. I think that Satan is trying to get us to think, maybe to think, what can we do to prevent that, to make it change. It. I don't know if that's the case, but it's just an interesting. It's an interesting parallel that we're talking about asteroids coming in and hitting the earth. And <clears throat> at the same time that we're talking about the last judgment, and God said the stars, the stars are going to fall to the earth and the moon is going to be darkened. Anyway, it says in the middle of this uh, that the powers of the heavens will be shaken. We've never seen anything like that. We, we have a, a little tornado that comes up, like Katrina. There's a girl that works down there. Costa's kitchen, her name is Katrina. And I asked her, I said, well, you named out the storm, and the storm named out for you. They said, when they had that Katrina, they talked about how bad it was and all the flooding and everything that took place down in New Orleans. And that was a horrible thing. But you see what? 
That's because God's mercy and God's grace and God's laws and God's rules hold everything normally at normal bay. But there are exceptions when a storm comes that breaks out that's a little bit more violent. And we, how can this happen? God is able to break the law. God is able to, to show us that he can be violent. And this time he says the heavens, the powers of the heavens are going to be shaken. It's going to be really something. The powers will be shaken. And the sign, what's the sign for? It's a, it's a sign that points to something else. And here is the sign that points to the Lord to return, the sign of the Son of Man, the indication that these things are going to take place when the Son of Man will appear in the sky. I don't know what that's going to be like. I know that the Bible talks about the, the Lord, the sun's going to go dark, the lights are going to go out, all the stars are going to go out, it's going to become pitch black, and then the glorious return of the Lord is going to come back on a white horse and we're going to come with him. I don't know how that's going to be like. We have our movies and we use uh, computer graphics sometimes to depict Godzilla or some of these monsters, uh, the uh, dinosaurs and things like that. And we talk about the horrendous, you know, you see the people running around the city and the big monster comes and steps on one of the buildings or steps on a car and you see this. And, you know, but what is it going to be like for that actually in reality to happen in not on the silver screen, but across the sky, when in reality, the time is coming when the sky is going to go dark, the sun's going to go dark, the moon's going to go dark, the stars are going to go dark. And in the midst of that darkness, the brightness of the sun, of the returning of the Son of Man and his splendor and glory is going to come back to earth, come here. The one who left is coming back. And the, the uh, apostles, the angels said to the apostles who were staring up in the book of Acts when Jesus was ascending, they said, why are you stand, staring at this and watching this? He's going to come back in the same way that he went. How did he go? He went physically up in heaven. He's going to come back physically from heaven. And he's going to come back in splendor, and majesty, and glory. And when he was being tried, uh, if you remember, the Pharisees were saying, uh, Ari, tell us if you really are Christ, the Son of God. He said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man coming in glory. That is going to be a very, very, very serious awakening those Jewish leaders when they realize the, the reality of the fact that this one that they crucified is in fact the Messiah, the sovereign Lord of the universe. That's going to be a heavy thing. Um, there are a lot of, lot of things that we are confronted with that are awesome, that are, are hard to, to really fulfill and appreciate the greatness of these things because we're not accustomed to it. One of the things that I've thought about is the, the fact that one day we will be physically in the new Jerusalem with the physical son of God. and He will be there and we will be able to see him. And we'll be able to talk with him and he will have those wounds in his hands and feet. And they will always, always be a reminder to us of the greatness of the sacrifice that God made on our behalf. I don't know how, I don't know how we can, can keep from just being broken to pieces over something like that. It's such, it is such a hard thing to grasp. It's the picture of the greatness of the mercy and grace of Almighty God that He would do to save us, to demonstrate through us grace and mercy, His goodness, 
um, we have a great God. We are just absolutely floored with the majestic glory of our God. So here is this passage here. It says that the, the, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And it says that when that happens, all the tribes of the earth, all the, we, we use races, but that's really not the right term. There's only one race, that's the human race. And all the rest of the black, the white, whatever you are, they're ethnic groups within the single human race. And it says here, all the tribes, which would be families and groups and other ethnic groups of the earth will mourn, which is something that it's hard to see right now. They don't, most people are not mourning right now, but the time is coming when he comes back, they're going to mourn. It's going to be, you won't have to do much. It, it'll be like, you won't have to, to tell them to mourn it, just like you, if you put a earthworm on a hot frying pan, you wouldn't have to tell the earthworm to wiggle because he's just going to do it. It's just going to happen. That's the way it's going to be. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord and people are going to be seeing him and they're going to be mourning over him and look at his, his uh, greatness. And so here it says, all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see, here he is, the son of man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with the great trumpet. This is going to be something to see. It's actually going to happen. And they will gather together his elect from all the four winds of the earth and with and one end of the sky to the other. He's going to bring them together. He's going to, to enter into a judgment there, but he's gathering them together. That's going to happen. That's what Peter is warning us about here, that, this, that there are going to be those that are going to deny that. Now, I want to tell you, I am not really is knowledgeable about what we call the timing of the rapture. And I was talking to Bruce about it, and he's not either. Um, and I don't know, honestly, whether the rapture, I mean, I was taught the rapture was going to occur first, and then we're going to have the tribulation, so on and so forth. I'm not absolutely convinced of that. I think Marv Rosenthal has got a real good point that the rapture is going to occur, not at the beginning, but when God, in the middle of the what we call the tribulation period, God pours out his wrath, and we're going to be taken up before he does that. I'm not, don't know for sure, but I do know this. He is coming back. He's coming back to judge. He's coming back in the flesh. And the Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ, where believers will stand before the judgment seat, not to be judged for their sin, but to be evaluated for their works and how we live and what we did. And uh, I want to, I just am not, I'm not happy with my life, with my obedience. I'd like to be more compliant, more aggressive. I've been praying about that. I've been asking the Lord to help me put him first. It's really important to do that. It's really important. And yet I still find that I'm so often putting myself first and my desires first. And probably you have that same struggle that we know what it's like to do that. And uh, so <clears throat> this, is a, this is an important thing. So he says here in this, this thing, first of all then, is Peter is warning us about the attack on his return. Um, John MacArthur, in talking about this, mentioned the fact that the apostles in over 260 chapters in the New Testament mentioned some way or another the second coming of the Lord over 300 times. So that, that's, a, that's a pretty uh, aggressive display and reminder in the New Testament that this Jesus is coming back again. He's coming back. We haven't seen the last of him. And uh, he says in the text, know this first of all, which doesn't mean the first thing I want to tell you is this, but rather this is 
the most preeminent thing. This is the top priority right now. The thing I want you to know is know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Here is this early church. And um, the church, uh, and the, many of them, some of them knew the Lord, in, in, like Peter and others, they had been united with the Lord. But as time passed, they were looking for his coming back. That's what he told them in John 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house and many dwelling places. Why not? So I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And yet he's not come back. And uh, there are those that are, are questioning that now. As time has passed. And uh, they're beginning to sow the seeds of doubt. Some of them. And they're mocking. He says mocking which is a way of um, kind of making fun of the idea that he's coming back. He's, he's been gone. Uh, people have come, they've lived, and they've died, and he's still not coming back. And uh, they, he uses the in that context about the father's falling asleep, which is the patriarch, that the things have happened over the centuries, and nothing different, nothing trans has transpired that's changing these kinds of things. And so there are skeptics. And Peter says, just know that in the priority of what I want you to know is that don't be surprised when mockers come. That warfare that takes place in the church, that battle that exists, that there are those who want to create doubt. They're in the church. They're there. They, they are creating that to some degree. And they will do that. And so these mockers, those that would treat the second coming with contempt, are there. And so Peter warns. Uh, about these false teachers that he's talked about in this book, that they want to deny the judgment and rob the Christian of its hope of seeing the Lord and take that. Because you see, <clears throat> in times of suffering and difficulty, the second coming of Christ is a real hope. It's a, it's a motivation every day when you get up. Uh, you've heard the term Maranatha, which means the Lord is coming or the Lord uh, uh, I think it's the Lord, the Lord is coming. <clears throat> and uh, I had a, a Scottish Bible teacher tell me one time in his studies that he found out that during the, the time in which the Romans were persecuting the Jews, the, or the, rather the Christians, they were persecuted. They put these in the, in the arena. They would tie animal skins around them, and the wild animals would come out and bludgeoning and kill them, and, and it would be a real gory mess. And it was a sport to the populace. While these Christians were being put to death and, and slaughtered like that. And uh, this man said that one of the writers that he read about said that many times uh, these Christians, as they were getting ready to be attacked, would yell out, Maranatha! And somebody up in the congregation, another believer sitting up there, would yell back, Maranatha! It was just a way of saying that this, that the, the death is coming now. But I'm going to see the Lord. I'll be with him. And there is that hope. That's a real hope. It's not a wish. It's an actual fact. When you breathe your last here, you'll be with him. And that's an absolute certainty. And that's a real hope. And that's a, that's a hope, especially in times of suffering. When, the, when there is suffering that takes place, that there is a real hope. And maybe, <clears throat> I don't know, but the way things are going, I think God is judging our country. And we may be going through some times some severe suffering. We see a little bit of that was taking place up in Canada and some of that stuff. That's not real suffering, but it's it's uh, maybe a foretaste of that. 
I don't know. I'm not predicting that. I don't know, but I it's it's possible. But whatever, if we do go through hard times, the hope of Christ's return, the hope of being with him is a real sustaining hope. It's a real hope. It's a fact that you cannot alter, cannot change. And so he says, Peter's warning them, don't let the mockers succeed in sowing those seeds of doubt in your life. Uh, and he says, know that first of all, he uses that. The mocker is one who treats becoming with contempt. The word, by the way, mockers is used one other place, and that's in Hebrews 11, where in Hebrews 11, talking about women that received back their dead by resurrection, Others were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings, there's a word, and scourgings, yes, also in chains and imprisonment. So it's just, it means that others were made fun of and ridiculed as Christians. And here there's making fun of and ridiculing the fact that, that Jesus is coming back and they're, they're laughing at that. There have been mockers. Not just then, but mockers throughout the, the church history. Um, first and second Peter, particularly second Peter, is one that a lot of liberal scholars have doubted. That's true. A lot of it made fun of um, that they doubted his, his return and they questioned because Peter is taking a strong stand on the scriptures and the heresy of scriptures. But that battle has been going on and it still goes on to this day. But we have the truth. We want to stand by the truth and not be swayed or turned away. He goes on uh, in, in using the tense there. He says that they will come with their mocking. It's not only in the past, but the mocking will come in the future. There will be those that will do that. And so the first thing Peter talks about is there will be mockers that, that bring about this questioning of the Lord's return. The second thing he does is he says that those mockers will be following their lust. He says they will follow after their own lust. And that's a, as I was looking at that, there again is an interesting uh, terminology that at first it doesn't, doesn't make good sense. The idea of the word following there actually means to go or to go over or to carry or to convey. Um, and that word is translated in other places in the New Testament as go, is translated in one place depart, is translated went, is translated going away, proceeding, and many other places. And so he's just saying that they will go after or depart or proceed after their own lust. The word after there, uh, kata, which means uh, gives direction, they will be following after, and that's what he's saying. They will be saying these monks will be going after their their own lust, their own sensual passions. Now, over and over and over again in church, in the warfare, the battle that goes on in the church, there's a lot of, lot of uh, corruption, a lot of people, skeptics and other things. But usually in the core of that rebellion are two things, one greed and the other sensual lust and perversion. And uh, I was looking at that and I was trying to think, now, how... How is this following after pursuing or going after sensual lust? How does that cause them to deny the second coming of Christ? It doesn't make sense to do that to me to, to, uh, because they're pursuing sexual indulgence and they're pursuing their perverted sexual pleasures. 
what would make that make them deny the second coming of Christ? But then I got to thinking about that, that this kind of sensual lifestyle is going to end up in accountability. They're going to end up being accountable to the Lord when he comes back. And so I'm thinking that this is what they're doing is they're trying to deny that accountability so that they will feel more at liberty to pursue their own passions. You understand what I'm saying? Their own lust, their own sin. Uh, that's just a, that's a sad thing to say, but that seems to be the case. Uh, that um, we know we're going to, we, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, so that there is that accountability and that the, and that, that, that idea <clears throat> means that there will be an evaluation of how you lived and what you did, and you'll be evaluated by that. There, there are lots of things that talk about evaluation. One of the ones that, that really speaks to me is, it, is, is uh, the fact that we're going to be accountable for every idle word. That is a staggering, staggering, staggering accountability. Now, I have maybe softened the blow with that, that I'm thinking that what he's saying there is not just that we're saying casual jokes and things like that, but when we are saying casual things deliberately or bad or evil or wicked or slandering or using profanity, we're going to be accountable for those things. God is faithful, and he's going to do what he says, and we want to be careful. And I know this, the mouth is the gate out of which the heart spews its garbage, right? Bible, Jesus said that it's out of the heart the mouth speaks. So what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And uh, when Paul talks about the depravity of the human race, the none righteous know not one, the none that seek God. He goes on down to talk about the throat, there's no grave, the lips speak lies, and so on and so forth. It's the heart and the lips that are a very real part of the perversion of our sin, of our depravity. Isaiah, when Isaiah saw the Lord, high lifted up in Isaiah 6, the first thing he said is, I have a dirty mouth, and I dwell among a people who have dirty mouths. So it's a, it's a serious thing. And so um, here we are standing, and, and the Lord says, we're going to be judged and evaluated by everything. Romans, Romans 14, um, in, in Paul, in encouraging the readers not to focus on self, but rather focus on the Lord, Paul says, not one of us lives for himself. Not one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. We're his property. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you, again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So there is that accountability. There's no question about that, that, that there is. And then one more thing, and then we'll stop. And that is, um, verse 4, talks about doubters. He says, the saying, where is the promise of its coming? But ever since the fathers, that would be the patriarchs, fell asleep, all continue just as it is from the beginning of creation. 
God, at the beginning of creation, has set things under order, under control, with laws and governing principles and things like that. And these things continue on uh, under an orderly fashion. And, you know, <clears throat> there are times when I have really, I've prayed hard for certain things and certain people for God to step in and do um, quick miracles. I have a kid at home. That was, that was real sick. I've been praying over and over again that the Lord would heal that kitty, but he seems to be slowly getting worse and worse and worse. Now, I can see that, that if I go to the hospital in a couple of weeks, I'm hoping that the Lord will take him home before that because I, I, I'm not going to be able to take care of him. And I know nobody else is going to be able to do that because he's real frail. you got to give him the medicine. You know what I'm saying? It's just something that's not going to be very feasible. So I'm, I'm expecting, and I may have to take him in and have him put to sleep, but I'm expecting that the Lord will take him home but the point I'm trying to make is there are things like this that I have prayed. We stood around Warner's bed after he had his, his uh, that blockage, and we really prayed for him and prayed for him and prayed for him. And so often we don't see the lightning flash and the, the angel come in and touch him and things turn around like that. It just doesn't happen. And uh, it can, God can do that, but it seems that the answers to prayer, you pray for somebody, for their salvation, and you know for a fact that in 10 seconds, the Lord could open their heart and they could be saved. But sometimes it takes years for the Lord to work through their life and through the pressures and through their habits and through maybe some sickness or maybe some other things that, to get their attention and to turn them around. And it's just, it, the Lord has set established rules and set policies in the, in the creation, physical laws, spiritual laws, and he, generally speaking, uses within those laws the things, the businesses, the, the pressures and other things to work out his perfect will. But it's within the confines of how he has established the creation. And that seems to be the case here where he doesn't just, he doesn't just step in and change things. But there is that normal course. Things continue on as they had been from the time the patriarchs fell asleep. All continue just as it was from the beginning of creation. What God is doing, he has continued to, continue to do it. He's been doing it in the past. It is true that God has established things and principles, but he rarely breaks out of this mode of activity. Um, he usually doesn't break the norm. And there are those skeptics and those mockers who make fun of that. God can handle that. It doesn't mean that when they start mocking, he's going to come in and change things drastically. He can handle that and he can let them go. And yet he will work around that and through that. You didn't, I don't know how many of you saw John's message this morning talking about the children of Israel and the nation of Israel. But if you haven't seen it, it's absolutely worthwhile to just get what, hear what John has to say about the miraculous preservation of that little insignificant nation and how he has preserved them through such a massive um, barrage of opposition, all kinds of things. I mean, I never never really thought about it, but it was massive. And you can see the hand of God in preserving the nation. And he does that. He uses things in his providence all around us to bring about his perfect will, which is, and we've talked about that before, which is really, really a greater miracle in a way than if he had just broken through with a miracle because he has to work, he's working through the, the direction, the plans and the purposes and the organizations of businesses 
families, people, and other things like that, and weather and all these other things that enter in. He's working his perfect will out in perfect harmony with all these other things interceding and in some instances colliding, and yet he's able to bring about his perfect will. He is majestic and he's great. And so these, these uh, doubters that Peter's saying, saying they're mocking and stuff. He said, where is the promise of this coming? Where is it? They're making fun of it. <clears throat> Since the things have continued on as they are, are they going to do it? So the bottom line is, and this is where we're going to stop. The bottom line is this. He is coming back. No doubt about that. Um, he's coming back at an hour when you're not expecting him to come. So it's good to be ready. You don't want to play games with that. And when he comes... We will see his face and we will answer to him and so we want to be ready it's going to happen we can't change it um it's, it's going to happen he's in charge of it and i'm glad he's coming and i i uh, in spite of the fact that there are things that i want to change in my life that that should be better um i want him to come and i'm anxious for him to come and to, to uh i've often asked him you have the seven letters, the, the seven churches in Revelation, and I've often asked him, how would we evaluate, what do we need to do to make the church, here we talk about Blue Ridge, more effective uh, in seeking to serve him and to honor him, because that's what we want. We want to be a church that is pleasing to him. We want to be a church that is honoring to him. Uh, I don't think the size is necessarily the indication of his blessing. I think the change in the hearts and lives of people is a good sign, but we want to, we do want to grow, and we do want to reach people, we want to impact lives, we want to be faithful with that, that's why we're doing the DBS, that's why we're doing the community, the uh, yard sale, that's why we're doing the Empowers uh, Bible study, and it's just important, and that's why we encourage you to read your Bible, because we want to be ready to be used of the Lord, when people ask us questions, and we have that, we, I have that, I know you have that too, from time to time. And I appreciate those. I appreciate the visits. Some of you have gone and visited other people. That means a lot to me. That really is. Well, let me close in prayer and then uh, see here who's you're doing the closing on church. Father, do thank you for um, this fact that you are coming back. And uh, you, there's no doubt about that. There's no question. We may not have all the T's crossed and I's dotted exactly the right time that we know when this is going to happen. Uh, Jesus said that the Son of Man uh, did not know exactly the day or the hour that he would be setting up the kingdom and coming back. Um, and so we're not upset that we don't have all the details, but we do know this fact you are coming back and that we do know that we'll, we're going to see you again. Lord, I pray for each person here. I pray that you'll help us to be certain about our relationship with you if they're those listening uh, i pray that you'll help them to really be certain about their relationship with you nothing nothing is equal in importance to knowing you and to seeking to serve you and please you and so i pray that you'll help us to take that seriously and if there are questions i pray that you'll help us deal with them and uh, i'll be glad to talk with those here that, and i know that others will if you have questions help us to be serious about seeking you and pleasing you and serving you. Thank you for this time now. We ask your blessing upon us uh, this week and we pray in Jesus' name. Thanksgiving. Amen.